Okay, welcome back to On the Ground, a podcast primarily, though not exclusively, for the members of Hill City Baptist Church. Uh, we are happy to have you back with us on what I think is the 18th consecutive overcast day of spring. I don't, <laughs> something along those lines. Does anyone else feel like there's been a disproportionate amount of gray sky yeah. lately? Yeah. yeah. You know what? Normally I'd be apt to complain about it, but I actually think... There's been pretty normal amounts of grace, guys, and some nice oh. days. Oh, so I want to be the well, positive one today. <laughs> I'm sure that says something about our approaches to life. <laughs> yeah, it, it for sure does. <laughs> <laughs> Another question I have. Do you guys feel like there's uh, like your morale is connected to the weather? My wife asked me this yesterday. 100%. And I, oh, yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was like a female thing or... Oh, yeah. I'm usually too distracted to notice the weather. <laughs> it I could live, be the apocalypse raging outside. Yeah, I live in the clouds. Head. I live I always, in my head. So I always fail to notice when it's cloudy and it's affecting my mood negatively, but I definitely notice when it gets sunny. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, uh, kind of wherever you are on that spectrum, uh, we being Alex, Ryland, Malachi, and myself are here to infuse some radio wave vitamin d into your life (laughs) (laughs) how do you like that i'm practicing my like dj (laughs) suave conversation (laughs) don't don't quit your day job (laughs) this is his day job (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right on to the good stuff um, anyways, there was a, a great interview posted yesterday by the uh, by the Gospel Coalition between uh, a guy named Colin Hansen, some of you may know him, and a man named uh, Harold Sankbeel. I, I don't know if he's German or not, but I've never heard of him. But uh, before that interview, if you haven't read it, especially if you're a pastor, I, I highly recommend looking into him. He, he's recently written a book called The Care of Souls, uh, Cultivating a Pastor's Heart. And just from uh, the interview and looking into a little bit, it looks like a great book. His basic thought kind of being that pastors uh, really can't hope to give what they haven't received. And uh, I I think that's an important thing to think about. But anyway, it's a great interview. Feel free to check it out. One line or rather one paragraph stood out to me that I thought uh, it might be good to to have a discussion about. Uh, And I'll just read it and we can launch into things from there. He says, I think as the world becomes increasingly isolated, the church needs to be more deliberately communal. We, he's referring to pastors, need to spend more concentrated effort at deliberately connecting human beings with one another mm-hmm. within the body of Christ so that we can rejoice with one another over our joys and we can also weep with one another over our sorrows. That's the way God has designed the church. End quote. So... Based on that uh, thought, I think I, maybe we could have a discussion kind of uh, on, on the nature of ministry. Who does ministry in the church? Uh, you know, do the elders, do the deacons, do the members? Is, is it a parachurch? You know, what is ministry? Um, so, yeah, does that sound acceptable to everyone? Yeah. Okay. Starting, starting with a definition of sorts? Is that yeah, I'll, I'll get to the questions. I just wanted to, to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, so uh, traditionally there's been a, a kind of a trend within 
Protestant churches towards this kind of top-heavy model of ministry, where they're just kind of a few people, um, usually office holders, but not always doing everything, and everyone else is just kind of present, is just kind of there. Uh, and maybe we could start with kind of discussing um, what mentality uh, or expectations maybe ha- have led to that kind of approach in our churches. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought when you when you when you sent us that question, I wanted to I felt compelled by my Protestant blood to uh <laughs> to make the caveat that this hasn't historically been the case. This is recently the case with in Protestantism. One yes. of the defining features of Protestantism and one of the great uh products of the Protestant Reformation mm-hmm. Absolutely. was That's the recovery of the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And, um, you know, that was a distinctive. If you were to say, you know, what are five distinctives of the Protestant Reformation? What are the five biggest changes? I mean, easily in the top five, maybe top three biggest changes is a recovery of the doctrine of the priesthood of all um believers and that's based on texts like first peter 2 5 and 9 that say that you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to god through christ in verse 9 you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation again picking up adam's role and then um, israel's role the people of god have always been called to be a royal priesthood and failed in that vocation, and Jesus Christ comes, and he is the true priest, uh, the one mediator between us and God. But in him, we also take on that role uh, that was intended for us as humans and and restored to us as redeemed humanity. So one of the big changes in the Reformation was, um, which before that, had seen a uh, a shift whereby the priesthood became a professional thing mm-hmm. and um the priesthood was seen not as a vocation of the entire body of Christ all who have faith but of a particular class and we saw this um kind of perpetuated through the lack of biblical knowledge i mean most people couldn't read except for priests the priests were the only really educated yeah. people they were the only ones who therefore had access to the scriptures, which were read in the mass in Latin, whether regardless of, you know, whether or not that was even the language of the people, which often it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was this huge separation between the formal priesthood, as it were, and the rest of the church. And one of uh, the great benefits of the Reformation, as I said, is recovering these texts like First Peter 2 five and nine and saying, wait a second. Um, that's not how things were supposed to be. And, uh, second Corinthians five, eight, five, 18 says, um, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, that is the body, the, the ministry of reconciliation. Um, that to your first question, ministry is the responsibility of the whole church. And Paul tells the Ephesian church that he gave leaders, um, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. So who does the ministry in the church? Well, in one sense, the leaders have a particular role, but their role is to equip the rest of the church, every Christian, for ministry. Uh, 
So, um, yeah, just to kind of circle back, I mean, ministry is a responsibility of the entire body. Mm -hmm. Even though we might play very different roles. Now, what some people do with that is kind of as a reaction against a professional priesthood, they reject leadership outright. They, re they reject that there is a distinctive place in the body for leaders. And that's, that's not a good, that's not a biblical or helpful response um, either. But uh, so yeah, so I just wanted to throw that in there. Protestants historically have affirmed this and recently we just don't. And I think that has more to do with a cultural transition um, that the church has simply adopted an individualism, a professionalization again, of, of church culture and just the, the temptations of the human heart away from responsibility for, for ministry ourselves and towards consolidation of power and authority as leaders. And these are human problems. Um, yeah. Good little history lesson to start the podcast off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. JV Fesco. I have a quote from him. He has a good article on this, the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that all believers in Christ share in his priestly status. Therefore, there is no special class of people who mediate the knowledge, presence, and forgiveness of Christ to the rest of believers. And all believers have the same right and authority, and I would add responsibility, to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture. So this this is part of our history, you know. When I uh, read your first question there, Ben, uh, about uh, kind of what leads to this kind of ministry, it's interesting that Alex was kind of thinking, well, Protestants have kind of redeemed this way of thinking about it. Um, but there's a sense to which it's kind of always been a problem of trying to figure out the healthy balance of church life. And the, the reason that the scripture teaches as clearly as it does on it is because Paul was having to write and explain to people what the new life in Christ looks like. What does it look like to be uh, a priesthood of all believers? And so there was clearly an issue, even, you know, you think in Corinthians, when Paul's writing, talking about the the, the body metaphor, and in Ephesians, when yeah. he's trying to urge them towards a proper view of unity and, and the healthy distinction of teachers versus members of the body. And it's clear that this wasn't, it's not as though um, it is as though people were saved and immediately started functioning in this healthy capacity, which kind of makes me think that really what what's at the root of, um, and I think Ephesians would confirm this, what's at the root of um, this mentality where either one person's doing too much or other people are not doing enough it is, is some sort of sin, some sort of deviation from the intended purpose. I think Alex was kind of touching on that. Uh, yeah. We don't drift. We don't drift towards a healthy view of the new humanity. Mm -hmm. We don't drift towards in our fallen state in our, in our, um, sinful nature and the old man, towards a, a, a Christian view of the body. And I would say those two kind of ruts from an, a, a leadership perspective is you want to consolidate power, you want to control people, and you don't want to trust people. Mm -hmm. And 
um, from a member perspective, you want, you remain passive. Mm-hmm. You don't want to pick up your responsibilities, mm-hmm. uh, which this entails. Yeah, it's kind of rooted in the the sort of two flip sides of selfishness. One is kind of an arrogance at a assuming you can do everything kind of thing, and the other yeah. the other is uh, assuming everyone should do everything for you kind of thing. It's probably partly like I'm just thinking of this now, like an entertainment view of church as well. I mean, if you if you don't know what you're there to do, like if your job is to if you're a football player. And you need to move the ball to that end of the field. You you can't just grab it and run because there's a whole team of people in front of you. You're going to have to rely on your team. But if you think that your job is to run backwards towards your own goalposts, of course you can take the ball and go backwards. There's no obstacles. And I think when the church loses its mission and its mandate, it makes it something else. Then a couple of people can maybe do that. Like if our goal is to run like a just an event, Five people can probably do that. Like right. So so kind of what I'm getting is that there's kind of a, an inherent human tendis, tendency uh, and have been has been kind of throughout the church towards um, you know the abdication of responsibility. You know, there's in different times been certain cultural uh, conditions that maybe lend themselves more to that, and maybe we're mm-hmm. finding ourselves in such a day. But there is just within us that um uh you know that reluctance to take on responsibility uh so yeah does that's that's all right well um what kind of uh, uh dangers perhaps um well i think there's many but what are a few kind of dangers that can come about in a model like that, in a model where, you know, the pastors are doing everything where there's not a healthy understanding of, of the body and every part being valuable. Um, what kind of things can start to happen? Well, you're sick, right? Paul's Paul in Ephesians says that the body, when each part is working properly, builds itself up in love. Mm -hmm. So he's designed the body in such a way that, a hand and a foot and an eye and a nose and an ear aren't sufficient. And if all the parts aren't working well, the body's just not healthy. And uh, one way or another, you're going to see this, you know, you may be putting on a great event with five staff and 10 volunteers in a church of 400. Maybe you can run great events, but when you hit a crisis or when there's suffering, um, you realize that, Oh, Maybe our body isn't as healthy as we thought that it was when there's a conflict, you know, in the church, these types of things. So the biggest, the the body cannot be healthy in this model overall. You could even take this back to Alex's football analogy. And even if you're running in the right direction, if you're not pulling together as a team, you're not getting the ball to the other end of the field. Mm -hmm. And and there's that sense of not healthy, not not effective. It's kind of... It, it almost is kind of, uh, you know, it's vain. It would be a, a good way of thinking about it. Or, or another analogy, you know, if you have a group of musicians and uh, they're not playing together, 
you know, or, or just someone isn't playing. There's a noticeable lack. There's a, a disunity, a disharmony in the sound, right? You can get two people playing two different things, pulling in their own direction, and it can sound really awful. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the body. I thought you mentioned some good examples, Ben, in your question, like pastoral burnout, you know, feeling the unnecessary responsibility that all of the ministry in the church is yours, mm-hmm. that every personal need in the church is your responsibility, that every care of the soul of every congregant is your responsibility. Every conflict, it's your responsibility to be in the middle of, that every sin, it's your problem to work through. That's just, it's actually an unbearable burden. Oh, yeah. And... um was it Moses, you know, who had to judge the people? Yeah. And it was just too much. And what did God do? Well, he he provided other leaders. And he said, this is too great a burden for you to bear. And, and what you end up doing is either killing yourself under the weight of trying to do everything, or you change your ministry and you let go of a lot of necessary things so you can survive. And both of those are super unhealthy. You mentioned Christians falling through the cracks. I mean, unless the whole body is caring for one another, if you're a group bigger than 10, your pastor cannot care for every one of your needs. You know, even if you and, are, you can't. But. And, and, and nor is he even really equipped. Like no. The, there's no such thing as kind of the, the Captain Marvel pastor where you kind of have all of the skills and gifts and powers embodied in one man. I mean, there yeah. are certain gifts that, that you need. But there's there's other ones that are only going to be supplied um, by other members of the body. And, and you know what? That makes me think about how there's a maybe an unintended consequence of this kind of uh, church ministry. When you have one guy doing everything, when you try to switch to a healthy biblical view, what people start to do is they assume that everyone does everything. And so they, they they lose a sense of the diversity of the body. Even if they think everyone should be doing something, they have a sense of, well, I may not be the pastor, but I can do what the pastor does because because of the priesthood of all believers. You know what I mean? You lose a yeah. sense of respect for the pastor because you you have this idea that uh, you have a, you have a misinformed idea about what it looks like to do ministry, and you assume that it's yeah. just every person doing all the thing. Or sorry, yeah all people doing all the things, but it actually isn't that it's, it's diverse. Well, and Paul talks about that in the body that the things that we consider less honorable are worthy of more, of of more honor. And I'm even thinking too, back to what is our goal? What, what are we working towards? And that is a one level love and um, the maturity of Christ into the fullness of the maturity of Christ Paul says, um, but the body building itself up in love, what that means functionally is every single member of your church growing in their love for Christ and for others and manifesting that in their actions. So a church that is passive is by definition, not a loving church, a church that is not caring for one another. Every single member by definition is not a loving church. They may have an amazing pastor and a great preacher and he's a strong leader, that says nothing whatsoever about the overall health of the body. So it kind of goes back to like, what is our measurement of success? What is our measurement of health? What are we actually trying to do? And uh, I, I was just thinking as you're talking, I think another help, uh, unhelpful uh, trend that has kind of invaded the church for the past number of years is, is kind of the, uh, 
the professionalism, kind of the executive mentality, right? Where you have yeah. one person at the top making all the calls, the decisions, you know, doing all the things. And uh, there's just this massive divide um, between the rest of the church. And it's, it's really, uh, it's really wreaked havoc on, on a lot of churches, I think. Mm-hmm. You, you think we could take a little divestment here, Alex was saying, you know, about losing sight of what we're supposed to be doing. And maybe we could just go through some things that the church does do together. Like some of, like, let's give some direction for, for people in the sense of what are some things we're working towards, even if it is, you know, somewhat repetitive, we've said them already. I, I'm thinking um, when Paul says, you know, we're working with you for your joy or, you know, we're doing all things uh, so that, so that, sorry, that they're being built up in love or that they're being built up into the maturity of Christ. Just thinking about these things, you know, so ma- that we have maturity, um, you know, bearing fruit. Um, what are some things that we're aiming at? Bearing one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Yep. So having an intimate knowledge of one another such that you know when people are in need yeah. and you are taking, you're positioning yourself to be able to care for that need. Mm. serving one another in love mm. or even uh, uh, just that verse we're often quoting about exhorting one another daily right Hold, holding yeah. fast the faith we're helping each other keep the faith mm-hmm. yeah um, maybe this would even be a good point to uh, kind of move into discussion of how do we you know, I'm thinking as leaders, but as a church, how do we move towards that kind of culture in a church? Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things you guys have, have mentioned some already? What, do we need to teach specific things in specific yeah. ways, uh, you know, prioritizing discipleship? What are some ways we can yeah. kind of work towards that culture? Um, well, you mentioned in your next question about Ephesians 4, mm-hmm. 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. It mentions the role of leaders is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But if you keep reading on, you know, okay, what is that equipping and what is that ministry? Well, the equipping is through the word. He's saying, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, um, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And that when everyone does their part, the body builds itself in love. So I would say, how do you get this culture? Fundamentally, you teach. Mm-hmm. You teach about this. You teach about the nature of the church. You teach about what it means to follow Christ together. You teach about the responsibility of every Christian in the context of a local church. Um, you teach what love actually looks like on the ground. And then you, then you walk in obedience to that. I would say you also, as a leader, you have to, leaders have to lead the way on this. And you can do this in several ways, not just in your teaching, but you, um, one, are cautious of taking on responsibility that isn't yours. Now, there's times when that's like, look, uh, a great example with us, right? We had to shut things down. We're not meeting together. First week, we showed up to a house and I just showed up to preach. Sound guy, Malachi was there. Camera guy, Caleb was there. Worship team, uh, Emily and Megan were there. I'm staying in my lane. I'm doing my thing. It's a different context. Next week, it all gets shut down. And I'm 
taking on the role of sound guy, video guy, worship guy, preaching guy. There's times you have to do that. But I think our impulse as leaders should be to help people carry the load that they've been given by God um, and not to be too quick to do that. You have to be willing. This means willing to accept failure. This means willing to release control. This means slower growth in areas that you might like to see quicker growth. But if you just do everything and you don't let anyone do anything, if you're not okay with people failing, you're never going to let people pick up the responsibility they've been given. And that's a huge temptation as leaders, right? It's just easier if I do this myself, but that's not our job. Our Mm. job isn't to do it all ourselves. Our job is to equip people to do it. That's a fundamentally different view of leadership. Mm -hmm. And just even resisting that temptation to say easier is better. It's not, you know? No, not in the long run. (laughs) No. Yeah. I don't know if we could use that proverb where, you know, oh, what is it, guys? Teaching a man to fish and he'll be able to... Yeah. feed his family for the rest of yeah. his life. Yeah, uh, either give him a fish or teach him to yeah, fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of that idea. Um, you know, it's it's in one sense tempting when your children are small to just carry them everywhere. But if you do that uh, for an extended amount of time, their bones will atrophy and they'll never be able to walk. Um, so that, yeah, that is important. And it also, I mean, that's humbling too. Uh, and perhaps a reason why we don't see it more it's humbling for the leadership to just yeah. allow for the process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing is, I know in recent months and weeks, even more so, I've realized just the importance of leadership development for the whole body. So I can either say, continue on, you know, putting out these fires and trying to be in every situation. Or I could say, look, this isn't actually possible. I'm going to have to prioritize raising up people and training people and equipping people who can then go out to do that and equip other people to do that. And that was Jesus' ministry, right? And so that's partly why we're doing the internship and and these types of things. It's, you know, you equip the saints for ministry. Mm-hmm. Um. Why, why do, I mean, we're kind of going circ, doing going full circle here, but why do you think people uh, maybe are hesitant to, to prioritize uh, this kind of, uh, you know, heart-sharing ministry, the kind that weeps and rejoices with others in the body of Christ? Why, why is that not something that we run towards naturally? Because it's hard. <laughs> it's it's not easy. It flies in the face of consumer Christianity. And um, bearing one another's burdens feels like carrying a burden. <laughs> like, I hate to break it to you. Yeah, surprise. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's no platitudes. There's no, like, little selfie with a cool story beneath it. Like, bearing real burdens of real people feels like you're carrying a burden. And each of us bears our own. Like each of us has our own, as, as good as our lives are, we've, we have burdens. We have our own sin. We have the sins of others. We have just suffering. We have the difficulty and the toil of life. We have our fears, you know, everything that we already carry. And, and this kind of ministry to love one another is to bear their burdens and to bear their burdens is to be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I would say it's it requires intimacy and knowledge of others and their knowledge of you that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's inconvenient. This is not a this flies in the face of a convenient mentality of a pragmatic, you know, do what's quick, do what's easy. There's nothing quick and easy about thick community at all. It's in, it's extraordinarily inefficient, although it is extremely fruitful. And uh, we value efficiency. I mean, I, I'm reading books on productivity and efficiency. And um, I think we tend to view things more towards efficiency. People are not efficient. Uh, people require patience. This is a long, slow process, like a tree growing, like a child maturing. Um, and most of us just don't have the patience for that. So there's, there's a certain character it requires. Um, it's not just a method. This isn't a church growth method. Well, it's not like, here's five steps. To yeah. And I think, I think that's the real um, challenge here is that, and you can see why churches multiply the programs, multiply yeah. the objective quantifiable events, right? Because that yeah. can kind of convince us all that there's growth happening um, but if people are slipping through the cracks in that, you know, yeah. people are not loving one another, they're just coming to events, then that's all just an illusion. It's not real growth yeah. isn't even taking place. Mm-hmm. And we love the success, right? We want the feeling of success. We want our labor to be, I want that. I want oh, my yeah. labor to be yeah, fruitful. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, with growth and love, true love, uh, Sometimes it's hard to see that. I mean, sometimes when you're going up the mountain, you hit one of those midway valleys. Like we're actually going down, you know, we're going down and um, it's easy to quantify success if success is numbers. But what if, how do you quantify growth and godliness if that requires going through suffering, if that requires working through conflict, if that means confessing sin, which all look like major setbacks. You know, it's like, oh, we're failing, we're falling short. Yeah. And I mean, I feel as a leader, like I feel that temptation to grasp the easy fruit, you know, to settle for more butts and seats and more volunteers and and they're not bad things. They could be a fruit of of the gospel, but yeah, we need to define success and be patient enough to to get there. What would uh, what would be your encouragement to Christians in the church who perhaps feel like um, uh, they're not really sure where they fit? I mean, you've talked about this in the past, Al, in terms of the body and specific gifts. Maybe they're even feeling like they don't know how to help. They don't know. Um, how to to carry their load? Um, yeah. What would how would you guys counsel uh, Christians like these? Well, the 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 benefit to this view is it's actually there's way less of a barrier to entry into service in the church. This is the beautiful thing. And one, we're not the professionalization where there's years and toil on the academy to get to being meaningfully part of the priesthood. That's through mm-hmm. faith in Christ. But even in a program-driven church, you still need to go through some process. What Christ envisions is that every Christian wake up every day and by his grace and through faith in him, make it their aim 
to love their brothers and sisters as best as they are able. And that is the service that he calls them to. And so when people ask, well, I don't know where to serve. I don't know where my gifts are. And they think they need to fill out a questionnaire or something. No, you, you don't. Because the true gifts of the Spirit are gifts of grace, Paul says, given for the building up of the body and our acts of mm -hmm. love. So practically what you need to do tomorrow is you need to ask God to give you a heart of love. You need to look around at the needs that you see and the ones that you, the needs that you are most drawn to or the things that are most clear to you as needs in your church are probably the way you've been gifted to serve. If you've been yeah. gifted to teach, you're going to be thinking about what's the sermon like and how's the small group teaching. If you're gifted to give, you're going to be thinking, I wonder if they've got enough money to be able to do this. You know, if you're gifted in, in hospitality, you're going to be looking around at those new people thinking we should have them over for lunch. You don't need to focus on you. In other words, to know how you're gifted, you need to focus on others. Yeah. And if you, if you don't see any needs, then that's probably an indication that you should uh, get into people's lives. You should start uh, knowing people uh, to know how you can help. Yeah. Um, and those, and those kind of, those things will come. And, and you need to trust yeah. that his commandments are not burdensome. Like that's just explicitly what he says. Yeah. And it's not burdensome. Like you said, Alex, cause you need to pray that you'll get a heart of love. You need to pray that the spirit will bear the right. The, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, love first, and then joy yeah. that follows. Like it's actually a joyful and good thing to serve others. It doesn't start that way necessarily. But by faith, mm -hmm. loving others actually becomes not just not something we do purely because we have to, but because we actually want to do it, which is an amazing, mm -hmm. amazing thing. That takes faith. Like you said, you need to ask and then you need to, you need to take a step, but that's a wonderful yeah. promise. And that, and that's the kind of love that we have access to through the gospel. It's a love that doesn't depend on, uh, reciprocity where you know, I'll, I'll do this if you do this later it's a love that can extend unilaterally um simply because of the grace we have received then we can be a channel to extend that that grace to others mm -hmm. and that's that's an incredibly freeing thing as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well guys uh we're at 35 minutes did, did anyone else want to add anything or there's another question but we kind of covered it uh and the other parts. I just think it's a great time to talk about it when we can't be meeting together mm -hmm. because I've been encouraged just as a pastor of Hill city, our church in particular, um, a church that has a thick community, you know, centered on Christ and built on love is a very resilient community. And it doesn't mean that leaders are not important. Um, and necessary they are, but what it means is when the leaders are less accessible, the members can be ministering to one another. And I've just been so encouraged, you know, I mean, other people have picked up our, our evening zoom meetings are leading the way and connecting with people in our church who, who it's, you know, super important to do that. I know of people um, who have been praying for one another, who are meeting to study the word together, who are intentionally moving towards one another in love and in faith. And um, I've just been encouraged by the resiliency uh, in the body because there's that culture is forming and we just need to keep that going. We need to make sure we don't fall 
um, into apathy. And we need to set a, a better example as leaders to continue to set an example of that for people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's a good note to close on. Uh, thank you, everyone. To those who are listening, uh, we're glad you could join us. Again, any questions, comments, uh, suggestions, please feel free to give us an email. Uh, you can find those on our website, hillcitybaptist.com. We hope it's been an encouragement, whether you're uh, a member of a church or a pastor or whoever you are, uh, to keep being faithful with what you have and to trust that uh, God will bring forth a fruit in its time. Yes. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.